gentlemen, welcome to episode 59 of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. This is a Fuck This Week edition, which if you're not familiar with the podcast, occasionally I do these uh, solo shows in weeks where big things happen. And then we try together to make sense of the senseless, don't we? That's, that's, that's the tagline. We're, we're trying to make sense of a weird dystopian world. Uh, that we're now inhabiting. When I when I started this podcast, it, it seemed to be sort of like looking into the future, like a near, not too distant future where things might go slightly awry. Is that the right word? Um, and now it's. I feel like we're actually there. You know, <laughs> like it's no longer dystopia. Now it's just this. like it's become a current affairs show by accident. I think just because think like we've we've moved into that horrible future time. That's what we inhabit now. Um, and every week some big political earthquake or something explodes in our faces and then either we do an emergency podcast with me, Super Tansky, uh, Davey Moo uh, or invariably I end up talking to you guys by myself like some sort of fucking lunatic sat in my shed recording a podcast but here we are, let's let's try and get through it shall we so it's, it, it has been a big week, it's been quite, a, uh, quite an eventful one for the Boris Johnson administration, for Team Johnson it uh, started a, a few days ago, right? Like, Cressida Dick uh, stepped in seemingly quite last minute to take ownership of an investigation that up until that point she seemed to hold very little interest in. Um, and this ruffled a few feathers for understandable reasons because it seemed as though from weeks before um, that when these parties in Downing Street were kicking off uh, and there was evidence of it and... Um, it, there were people saying yes I was at it and yes it broke <laughs> broke the law but they, they would say that it broke guidelines or it stayed within guidelines but that's just a thing that they say when they know that they've broken the law do you know what I mean like up until that point it was the law it was the coronavirus act it was illegal to do x y and z and then when it turns out that ministers or journalists or uh, special advisors in Whitehall have broken the law, then suddenly it gets diluted to, oh, guidelines. It was just guidelines. Well, it was, we think it was within the guidance. Like, that's the sort of language that they then shift to. Um, and so, so yeah, so Cressida Dick's Metropolitan Police showed little to no interest. Um, they weren't really fussed about stepping in. Uh, there was this big hoo-ha, you will recall, that they don't, <laughs> they don't investigate crimes retrospectively which is so fucking outrageous. Like, imagine if you got sexually assaulted or just, like, broadly assaulted or, you know, someone stole your car or somebody defrauded you and then you said, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it happened, like, six weeks ago or it happened, like, six months ago. You would be fucking livid if they said to you, well, you know, happened a while ago. <laughs> bygones. Let's let bygones be, be bygones. It's not really what we're into, to be honest. Like, aren't you supposed to investigate shit? and find out, like, find evidence and then charge people? Nah, 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 we only do it if it's happening, like, right in front of our faces, in the now. That's, <laughs> that's where we're, we're here with you right now in the present. If there's a crime happening here, is there one? No. Well then, okay, have a good day. Um, so it was a big thing about that. Uh, and then, lo and behold, just at the moment, Sue Gray is about to publish the report, then the Metropolitan Police step in uh, and so this was this this sort of caught fire on Twitter uh, a few days ago, um, and you know I don't want to go over it all again because I think a lot of good points have been made uh, by people far more eloquent and articulate than I am. Um, but understandably, people were highly suspicious 
of this activity, this this latest in a series of uh, events from the Metropolitan Police, where it seems like they step in to help government rather than frustrate or investigate government. And remember, the Metropolitan Police, or, or indeed any police force, because they just cover London, right? Any police force has to be independent from government. It's one of the pillars of democracy. It's what sets the UK... Um, different from it's the contrast of us versus other countries where you know the the president or the emperor or whoever control the police force it's always a bit of a it's a bit that's why it's one of the this sort of like is it bellwether is that the right phrase like bellwether moments of like fascism is when the leader the political leader is surrounded by army and police all the time you know because it shows that they're like those two things emerging that he or she controls uh, law enforcement um, and would therefore like the, the implication there would be that this individual would no longer be subject to the same laws uh, and expectations that govern the rest of society so um, anyway long story short this all of this blew up and people were uh, rightly concerned that the Metropolitan Police were on the side of the government um, and people were immediately calling for Cressida Dick's resignation. Uh, now, I, I was one of them, but I've called for her resignation before because I, I always see her as, uh, and I mentioned this on a uh, Twitter Spaces thing. I did my first one of those the other night with with Tan and with Davy, uh, and uh, uh, I mentioned this, yeah, on, on that. And it was that I see Cressida Dick as the, the sort of embodiment of the Peter Principle. Which, if you're not familiar with that, with with what the Peter Principle is, it's this theory, this idea. I forget who coined it now, um, but it's this idea that everyone gets stuck in the job that they're shittest at, right? So it's it's quite a negative theory to come up with, but it's kind of I think it holds water, right? The idea is that, you know, if you work in a supermarket, if you work on the checkouts or you work uh, like on the cigarette counter or something and you're really good at that, then they'll promote you and then you'll be team leader. And maybe now you're walking around with a big set of keys and you cash up tills and, and that's great. OK, you're earning a little bit more money, but you're not amazing at it. You cash up the tills ish kind of. But every now and then the tills are a bit short or maybe now you're, you're juggling people's holiday rotors or something and then you fuck up someone's holiday. Rot so you're not good at that job. But you're not bad enough at it to get fired. You're just not good enough at it to get promoted out of it. And so now you are stuck in a job that you're shitter at <laughs> than the job that you were good at that got you promoted out of that job. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not, you know, word salad, word, like verbal diarrhea to you. But um, so the idea of the Peter Principle is that everyone gets promoted outside of the job that they're good at and into a job that they severely struggle at. And I think Cressida Dick is one of those, you know? Um, and, and as I say, like, normally it's not a problem insofar as society is concerned. Normally it's, it's you know, Sharon who works in co-op, who gets promoted into the cash office, or, or Bill becomes the lead estate agent in that team. And the worst that happens is some poor sod doesn't get the holiday approved and and that's unfortunate they don't get to go to ibiza for two weeks or, or whatever but but it's just unfortunate that for us right now this particular example of the peter principle happens to be the commissioner of the metropolitan fucking police <laughs> but that's that's i think my my take on cressida dick i think she's been over promoted about two or three times i don't see from what i've read and look i'm not her fucking biographer but the little that i have read about her I don't see this sort of, you know, catalogue of successes. <laughs> I see a list of fuck ups, 
not a catalogue of successes. Like in any other industry, if you fucked up as much as she has, you would be thinking, oh, well, <laughs> my career's in the fucking toilet, rather than, oh, uh, I'm in line for two or three successive promotions and some like serious power and influence, like which is seemingly what, what she's got to in her career now. Um, you know, like her list of her list of fuckery includes, but is not limited to, um, Jean Charles Menezes. I think I pronounced his name correctly. I hope um, Operation Midland, which was like in the aftermath of all of the uh, Savile uh, hysteria, when there was all of that kind of gossip and suggestion that uh, the MPs or former MPs or lords may have been involved in some sort of paedophile ring. There was this guy, Carl Beach who went on record and said that he was raped and molested by, uh, I think it was Lord Britain. Uh, and Lord Britain was then, I think, under su suspicion. I'm, maybe I'm talking out my arse here a bit, but I'm, was he the guy that they, didn't they bring him in for questioning? And then he died or his wife died without ever like resolving the case. It was like, it's pretty sad. And then it turned out that this Carl Beach guy, completely full of shit like like there were so many things like holes in his story that it turned out that it was something along the lines of a fantasist and there were 40 or 50 successive failures in that investigation within Cressida Dick's like leadership like her teams and sub teams and all and it all kind of goes back to her her leadership her haphazard way of running things and so that's Jean-Charles Menezes, Operation Midland. Then there was the Sarah Everard murder and the vigil afterwards where they were just fucking beating down mourning women with batons. There's the, been the Daniel Morgan inquiry, which was he was a, a private investigator and he was working with um, some guys who had very close relationships with Met Police officers. And he was investigating, from again, from what I've read, uh, institutional corruption within the Metropolitan Police and he so he was investigating that shit and then they found him with a fucking axe in his head in a car park the, the story of Daniel Morgan really is fucked up like I've I remember laying awake reading Wikipedia pages about it and and going wow this is fucking this this reads like some sort of journo political thriller it's so fucked up like private investigator investigating corruption found with an axe in his head and they've never found who did it but like the fucking Met are involved to some extent in that murder and, and had a relationship with a private investigator firm who worked very closely with the news of the world. Those three institutions, three things like overlapping and miraculously they can't find the guy that put the axe in this poor guy's head. Um, and so off the back of that murder, there was an inquiry that found and called the Metropolitan Police institutionally corrupt. And that's like all of that is before we even get on to fucking knife crime, soaring numbers of teenage murders. All of this shit has happened on Cressida Dick's watch. <laughs> all like uh, actually, do you know what? I need to correct myself there. The Daniel Morgan murder, I think, happened way before Cressida Dick became commissioner. But it has found in the investigation of uh, what went wrong with that murder inquiry, um, that, that initial investigation and, and subsequent ones. It has found that she frustrated the investigate the inquiry's efforts. She, she tried to obstruct the inquiry and became incredibly unhelpful. And they, like, they made a point of writing that in the, in the inquiry. Like, the Met is institutionally corrupt and also Cressida Dick was incredibly obstructive. Um, like, how fucked is that to be the commissioner of the Met and to be named? And it, like, after that, 
they said, well, are you going to resign? And she was like, nah. <laughs> like, there's, nobody has any fucking dignity anymore. Nobody's got any shame. You get called out in an inquiry that you lead an institutionally corrupt Metropolitan Police and you're called obstructive in them trying to get to the truth. And still you're like, yeah, might just hang on. I think I'll probably just hang on. Like, not even taking the golden handshake leave, you know? Like, I would take that at this point. If it was to get Cressida Dick out of that office, I would say, just give her a gold-plated pension and fucking ship her off to the Bahamas. Whatever it is that she wants to do, go and write a book, an autobiography, or, you know, write thrillers in in retirement about police forces and like, like whatever the fuck it is that you want to do fuck off and do it so that we can actually start trying to fix this thing you know um so yeah all, all of that's happened on Cressida Dick's uh Cressida Dick's watch that is her list of fuckery rather than her list of successes um and you might ask yourself well why don't they fire her why don't they like could it could there be some reason why Pretty Patel as Home Secretary, because remember, this is her remit, right? It's up to her whether Cressida Dick's contract gets extended or she is rehired or she's let go. Um, so why doesn't Pretty Patel fire her? And I've sort of noticed this protective ring about the three of them, you know? Pretty Patel, Cressida Dick, Boris Johnson, those three. There is this sort of protective ring. They're like a, a triangle of country. They're, you know, Pretty Patel won't fire Cressida Dick. Boris Johnson won't fire Pretty Patel. And Cressida Dick really doesn't want to investigate Boris Johnson. And so then the cycle continues, doesn't it? Like the three of them together, nobody wants to investigate or fire each other. So they just sit there and carry on fucking stuff up and letting each other off the hook. It's like, I don't know. Like, is it going to descend into some sort of like Lord of the Flies? Like, nobody's being, nobody's being um, held to account. Nobody's being bollocked for their behaviour, and so it just descends into worse and worse, right? Um, and I have to say, I'm feeling it, right? I, <laughs> I I didn't say this the other night on the Twitter Spaces thing, but I'm just going to say it now. In terms of like me, Super Tansky, and Davy Moo. If that little trio, the trio of us, ever get accused of a litany of crimes, I think we should take the Patel, Dick and Johnson model as a blueprint. So the three of us, so Davey, for example, I won't tell anyone about the time that he took money out of a charity collection at the food bank to fund his meow meow addiction if he keeps it quiet that I stole a loaf of bread to feed my starving family. And look, Davey, if you're listening, you can take that to the bank, friend, okay? Um, there was there was an alternative school of thought with the uh, the Cressida Dick intervention, we should call it, uh, at the last minute, which was that they, like, let's say this, right, devil's advocate. They were going to wait for the Gray report to finish, to be delivered, and Gray referred some areas to the Met. And now those areas are so serious that they might need to be protected and we might see a criminal trial or something. Like if three of the junior aides were selling crack in the toilets or someone got assaulted or somebody was selling stolen cars out the back of number 10 or like, is it like, is it possible that now as the Met try to investigate those more serious allegations and as of yesterday when they published the Grey update, they're calling it, uh, we know that the Met are investigating um, a number of 
of these things, including a party that took place in Johnson's own fucking flat, an ABBA-themed one. So is it is it possible that as the Met tried to investigate the more serious allegations, that it might be justified that they've just like watered this down and redacted, and and then Gray's sort of forced to provide an update? Like so, this this intervention by the Metropolitan Police kind of makes sense when you look at it through that prism. I think it's it's sort of forgivable, but I don't think that necessarily lets Cressida Dick or Boris Johnson or anyone off the hook. And here's why: because I think they have a responsibility to understand and respect the optics of this they have like there has to be somebody on the 11th floor of metropolitan police or scotland yard or wherever the fuck it is that cressida dick sits that can walk into her office and go are you sure you want to do this because this looks really fucking bad cressida this look do you know how this looks this looks like you're stepping in at the last minute like you weren't you weren't fussed about it before and now, just as it's about to be published, now you're stepping in to say, actually, we're going to take ownership of an investigation that we ourselves said only two weeks ago that we were going to wait for the outcome of the Grey report. We're going to wait for the outcome of the Grey investigation and then decide if we're going to pursue anything. And now that it's just about to be published, now suddenly you're like, oh, actually, now we're in control. Now we're the superior investigation again. You know how bad that looks, Cressida. Are you sure you want to do this? So I think they have a responsibility there to kind of go like, right, well, this doesn't look good. Even if it is justified, even if we know that it's the right course of action, we have a responsibility to get out there. And Cressida Dick should then have been on like the morning sofas. She should have been doing like phone-ins at LBC and saying, this is why we're doing this and here's the reasons why. And yes, I will answer literally any question you throw at me. Because the alternative to doing that is that you let motherfuckers like me come onto YouTube or iTunes or uh, Amazon podcast or whatever and then speculate wildly. Like when you don't provide the information, you create an information vacuum and then you have failed comedians hosting podcasts saying, ah, I don't know, sounds a bit dodgy, dick. You know? I mean, the other, like, the other angle is that number 10 suggested that there might be an issue like a week before the Met intervened. Do you remember that? Like number 10 stepped in like after, after the Gray report was supposed to say like, uh, like there was, there was leaks basically. It was saying, it was suggesting that Gray was not going to come out in uh, Johnson's corner. There were people saying, we've seen sort of very very basic like notes of what the the report is going to include and it does not look good for Boris Johnson and at that point number 10 started briefing plotting or whatever um saying well you know we might not actually be able to release the report because the metropolitan police you know it might it might uh, prejudice their investor and at that point the met stepped in <laughs> this is way ahead of time right a week before uh, the Met stepped in and said, no, 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 there's nothing in there that's likely to prejudice our, our ship. No, no, you could go ahead. And that was an embarrassment for number 10 because what they were trying to do was sort of obstruct. They were trying to say, yeah, I think the Grey report might not come out, come out in Boris's favour. And so, well, we don't know if we can possibly. And then the Met stepped in and said, no, 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 it's fine. But then within a week, the Met had done a full 180 and gone, yeah, well, I, we would rather that you didn't reference. So that's why it looked so fucking dodgy because... 
first off, number 10 say it's X, and within 24 hours, the Mets say, no, 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 it's Y. And then a week later, the Mets step in and say, oh, did we say that it was Y? Actually, no, it's back to X again. But the whole thing in terms of optics and communication, and it's just such a case study of tomfuckery. It's like you want to you take the PR people from the Met and from number 10, like their chief of communications or whatever, and just slap them around the face with a wet kipper. You just want to go, what, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'm just some idiot that runs a podcast. I've had no experience in media whatsoever other than, like, work experience when I was about, like, 22. How is it possible that a fucking idiot like me can see how bad this looks ahead of time and you motherfuckers, ha- like, haven't learned this and this is, what, the fifth, sixth, seventh instance of the Met fucking up how they look to the public? I don't know. You could probably tell I, I'm getting somewhat irate about it all. It's, um, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. And, uh, and obviously in the immediate aftermath of the Met attempting to intervene, there were, there were sort of, you know, high-ranking, very high-profile legal figures, uh, people like Nazir Afzal, uh, who, if you're not aware of him, he's a former chief crown prosecutor. Uh, so, but you know, a bit of a heavyweight. He does a lot of social justice commentary on Twitter, and he's he's been a talking head on a few, uh, you know, sort of like Newsnight and um, uh, and that sort of stuff. So you, you would recognise him if you saw him, I think. Um, and another guy, Lord Macdonald, uh, who's a former chief of public prosecutions. Like both of these guys came out immediately saying, like, well, this is disproportionate. You know, <laughs> like we're talking about fixed penalty notices, like a parking ticket. This is not like it's not a murder thing or you know like what is there to protect people from there's no jury it's unlikely to be like some big court case when they have to decide what information they'll expose the jury to like oh no no yeah i know i understand that that's interesting evidence and everything but we need to withhold that because of these reasons you know it's not like that so you have to ask the question why are they doing it you know what why are they trying to delay the full report and it may be that their own report does cover a lot of the same shit but the police investigating it is needed right does that make sense? So, like, by the by the time it comes out, the the like the the police will have investigated it properly. But by the time it comes out, the anger will have dissipated, and the talk of letters of no confidence will have quieted down. And and basically, it's a long play. It's like it's what do they say? Kicking it into the long grass. It's the equivalent of I'll tell you what it's the equivalent of. It's a cheating husband at the airport, and his wife phones him while he's at the airport. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, did you, did you fuck Philippa? And he's like, oh, can we, look, can we talk about this when I get home? Because then, because then by the time he's got home 13 hours later, she would have calmed down a bit because she wouldn't have just found out about it. And then he's got 13 hours to think up his story, you know, like, or to like phone Philippa. Whoa, whoa, whoa what did you tell her? You know, to get his ducks in a row. Except in this scenario, the cheating husband is an entitled Etonian silver spoon cunt in politics, you know? And weirdly in parallel also cheating husband, but I don't know. So where where are we now, right? It's been a, it's been a few days since the uh since the Mets intervention. Um and we had Boris Johnson yesterday in the House of Commons and he released the Sue Gray update uh which was indeed a, a sort of watered down uh, statement of facts uh, that that came out I think about 40 minutes before House of Commons and people were 
People were kind of fucked off because he was supposed to be giving this to the opposition and to some of his backbenchers so they could be informed and they could go into the House of Commons and talk about this shit ahead of time. They'd have time to consume it. They'd have t time to, uh, to reason and to, uh, not to use the same phrase too many times, but to get their own ducks in a row so they could, uh, you know, they could ask him questions about it and scrutinise him. And instead what he did was he, he kind of slipped it out last minute, 30 minutes, 40 minutes before House of Commons. So he, I, I think he thought that would be enough to protect him. Like, oh, if I just give it to them relatively last minute, then they won't have time to read it. And then it will just be, I could just walk into the Houses of Parliament. And I could just say, well, yes, we've got the Sue Gray report, but now we have to wait for the Metropolitan Police, blah, blah, blah. And it, like, that would be enough. He could just try and bluster his way out of it. If it was a difficult question, he'd just say, well, it's the oh, vaccine rollout and we got Brexit done and, and so on. But it didn't really work out like that, you know? He, he stood up there, uh, Keir Starmer gave a speech, uh, Theresa May gave a speech, a couple of his own MPs gave a speech, and I don't want to be ambiguous, but every single one of these speeches was fu a fucking mauling to him. He looked like a lost boy, Not no bluster, just fluster. <laughs> you know, like he ill-prepared, uh, incapable of handling this sort of criticism, unable to, uh, to to provide any clarity or to answer any of the questions. It was, in terms of Boris Johnson's ability to fight off scrutiny or to answer questions, it was it, precisely the sort of thing that should be wheeled out at the next general election by Labour or by some sort of progressive alliance or whatever the left and centre-left form takes nearer that time. Uh, because it was an exercise in... Uh, dodging the questions, in not answering them, in not providing information, in appearing arrogant, in bluster, in um, uh, diverting attention away from these parties. And suddenly, like I saw a tweet yesterday where I think it was Jim Felton. I think he said something like, um, uh, wow, you know, this this House of Commons meeting about the parties and the inquiry. I'm learning a lot about Brexit and <laughs> and vaccines. And it's true, like there's a there's a point in there, you know, he's he's being a bit sarcastic and sardonic or whatever. But uh, the point is that when you ask Boris Johnson a question about these parties and indeed about this update that he so many times and all of his cabinet said, we have to wait for the Sue Gray re report to come out. Now the Sue Gray update is at least here. And instead of saying, yes, well, the update's here and here's what I think about it and here's my responses. He's saying, oh, wasn't the vaccine rollout great? And we got Brexit done, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then there was this sort of bizarre moment where he just threw accusations around uh, in, in, and this is what I mean in terms of like a general election campaign. He couldn't answer the question and he couldn't allow somebody to scrutinise him uh, or hold him accountable. And so then out came this shit about like, well, he didn't prosecute, Keir Starmer didn't prosecute Jimmy Savile or um, the Labour front bench are all on drugs. Like all of this fucking nonsense. <laughs> and you just think like, wow. Like it, make, like it makes you look at the polling at the moment and it's like, you know, Labour, 41%. Tories, 30%. 11-point lead to Labour. And you look at that and you go, who the fuck is that 30%? <laughs> who are the 30% of people who are watching this shit and going, yeah, man, that's my guy. Ah, oh, Boris, Boris till I die. Like, he's not providing any information, just bluster and fluster and just, you know... Like, if, if you were a Tory right now, 
a backbencher. And they are apparently, seemingly, as, as far as we know at the moment, following a 1922 committee meeting last night, which if you're not familiar with the 22 committee, that's the old boys of the Tories, right? They haul prime ministers over the coals. They actually can hold him to account, and they do. Uh, and do you remember when Theresa May got in her first spots of bother, the 22 committee would call her in and she'd be hauled over the coals and they never published the minutes of these meetings. And Anyway, there was a 22 committee meeting last night and following that, it sounds as though, from what we know, they're all actually quite happy with Boris Johnson. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to oust him. They think they're, you know, they've had their concerns heard and he's committed to making things better. And they're like, yeah, actually left there feeling really, really good. <laughs> You know, like, it just makes you think, like, if I was a Tory, if I was an old boy Tory, and I looked at the bullet points of where the Conservative Party are right now, you know, laughing stock on the global stage, they got Brexit done, which means 5% inflation, 4% hit on GDP, you know, whatever they say about a fastest growing economy in the G7, well, that's fucking great, but you have shrunk the GDP of the nation um huge staff shortages in the retail and like lower skilled sectors you've got number 10 under criminal investigation and to top it all off you're 11 points behind right if you look at those bullet points for where conservative party are and the tory conclusion to that is more of this shit soup please oh, fucking delicious you know like you're doing something really right here Boris please oh, 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 is there any more oh, oh, oh. it's just it's like how fucking deluded do you have to be like are they that deluded or is this really cynical is it like nobody wants to actually oust him right now because nobody wants to, nobody wants to take on his poison chalice nobody wants to like like is that that's the real thing here isn't it is that the only reason that johnson isn't out right now that he hasn't been ousted is because there is a severe lack of a challenger there's no boris johnson waiting in the wings there's no like um you know when theresa may was sort of on the way out and going you know i mentioned a minute ago about going to the 22 committee and uh and there were like there were brief like people briefing and plotting against her and there was a Boris Johnson on the sidelines, plotting against her, resigning from his post. I, I cannot serve as foreign secretary while this Brexit deal is a blah, blah, you know, commissioning a photo shoot in his office as he signs his resignation letter, all of that shit. There was a Boris Johnson then. But now when Boris Johnson is the PM and things are looking really fucking shaky for him, there's no Boris Johnson waiting in the wings. There's no challenger there's no one ready at least openly trying to kind of stab him in the back there's no like ambitious you know macbeth kind of figure on the sidelines with a lady macbeth egging them on you should be prime minister not that boris johnson fella you could do this so much better like maybe there is maybe rishi sunak is actually like that and i think the fact that boris johnson has stood shoulder to shoulder with him and signed up for this ni hike which is you know i'm assuming if you listen to this podcast you are sort of relatively politically aware but maybe you're not now conservatives like if you if you're talking conservative with a small c 
you're into low taxes. You want to keep taxes as low as possible because ideologically speaking, you believe that it is your responsibility to spend your money as you see fit. If you want to save it, you, then you save it. If you want to invest it, then you get to invest it. And if you want to pay for private healthcare, you would pay for your own private healthcare and fuck everyone else, right? It's all about self-responsibility. Conservatism with a small C. So a big part of that is keeping taxes low, or at least traditionally was with conservative parties or like the Republican party in America. Um, so the backbenchers, the Tory old boys, the uh, the home counties conservatives hate shit like this NI hike coming in. They That is against conservatism. So for Boris Johnson to stand shoulder to shoulder with Rishi Sunak and sign up for it and progress, like pursue it after all the shit that he's got, uh, I think that suggests that he's more scared of Rishi Sunak than he is of his backbenchers, which in turn suggests to me that maybe Rishi Sunak is as sort of, you know, Machiavellian and Macbeth-like as, as it takes to sort of unseat a prime minister. Although the only real evidence that we've seen of it so far is, interestingly, a photo shoot, a privately commissioned photo shoot of cuddly Rishi Sunak sat on the sofa with his little doggy. Um, you know, that is quite Johnsonian, uh, to, coin a, to coin a phrase, because Johnson also commissioned private, you know, and did a bit of social media and promotion and stuff. But there's no real, I don't think there's a, a Boris Johnson shaped figure in on the sidelines that's willing to go up all out. Like we've, we've had, um, what's, I can never remember how to pronounce his surname. Is it Tugendat? Tugendat, that chappy um, has come out saying that he has ambitions. Uh, to be the next conservative leader and that he doesn't think there's anything wrong with being ambitious and just, you know, nailing his colours to that mast. Uh, I think that's a good move for conservatism, but it's, you know, I, I think if we had to have a Tory in number 10, I would rather it was somebody like him or Rory Stewart, somebody who at least seems to have their head screwed on, who can speak normally, who can speak in an intelligent, reasoned way, even if I don't agree with the conclusions that they draw. At least to have a fucking grown up in there that you could that you know that they're educated and uh, that the, the the decisions that they come to are for good reasons and you know just to have somebody that you could that you could say yes this person is the prime minister and they behave as such rather than this fucking weird fascist populist nonsense that we've had to grow accustomed to over the last like six years. So the Starmer speech, just going back to that from, from yesterday, it, what was interesting about that is, and, and I'll look, full disclosure, I've not watched his speech in entirety, um, but I've, I've seen a lot of the reactions to it, and it seemed to unite across the left and the right, which is a weird moment, because, I mean, almost across the left and the right, right? So across, like, let's say from Starmer's left right through into conservatism, and I'm sure that will attract attention for all the wrong reasons inconvenient reasons for for starmer but it's super interesting that people like isabel oakshot and ian dale and uh, uh fuck me who else was it uh dan hodges from the daily mail all of these people singing his praises going like that was an incredible speech um and and citing him as, as looking sort of prime ministerial to have people on the right supporting keir starmer over Boris Johnson and like people like uh, Ian Dale were on LBC last night saying saying uh, uh, 
that what they were expecting from Boris Johnson yesterday was ownership and taking responsibility and showing some sort of uh, contrition for the feelings of people and, you know, act, like really taking responsibility in a, again, in a sort of conservative with a small C fashion. And actually what they got was bluster, lies, pantomime, nonsense. Um, and look, people like me and maybe people like you can say till the cows come home. Well, yeah, that's fucking Boris Johnson. You get what you pay for. You know, you voted him in. Everyone fucking warned you. Everyone warned you that he was like this, that he had there was no substance behind it. It's all symbolism and poppies and statues and fucking nonsense. But you didn't listen. And now he's your leader. So oh, that him taking responsibility is one thing, but also you have to own it a little bit, too. But it is, you know, from a media observational perspective, it is interesting when you start seeing right wing uh, commentators, right wing journalists siding with the leader of the opposition against a conservative government. Um, the interesting thing about Starmer, though, I will just say this quickly, is that uh, I, I haven't seen any Keith tweets for a long time. Have you? Well, that whole thing seems to have died out. The Keith thing, when they, they thought it was everyone on the far left, who, by the way, did not support Starmer's speech yesterday. Uh, you know, look, if you're on the far left of Labour or the Green Party or what it like, the sort of people who take real super exception to Keir Starmer and bash him more than they bash the Tories, uh, they did not like his speech yesterday, which I think is very telling. You know, like I, if you have unshakable principles uh, that prohibit you from supporting the leader of the opposition against the Tories while the Tories are doing all of this shit, those principles are, you know, commendable. I think that's really great. Um, but personally, from my perspective, I feel like the priority has to be get the fucking Tories out, install a left or left-leaning administration, and then you lobby for the change that you need or that you want or that you think makes sense or that you think is more compassionate and helpful. I don't think you achieve anything by constantly bashing the opposition who are your best chance at, at inching closer to the policies that you like. And you might be something of a purist where you're like, well, I don't think you should have to sign up to a, a Labour Party who are uh, actually quite conservative about a lot of stuff. Well, that's great. But you should know that this particular, uh, what's the word, incarnation of the Labour Party is at its most successful polling wise uh, than it has been for the last few years. It is like if there was a general election tomorrow, the Tory it would be fucking bloodbath for the Tories. Um, we're not talking. We're not talking just like losing a majority and they might have to form a coalition. Like the Tories would be fucked. Um, so Labour are actually doing pretty well at the moment, and you stand a much better chance of getting the policies that you want, like at least looked at, whilst Labour are in government or some sort of Labour Lib Dem or Greens or like some sort of coalition on the left than you ever fucking will with the Tories in power. So, I don't know. Winds me up a bit when I see people spending more of their time bashing Starmer than being helpful to ousting the Tories. I just think it's incredibly short-sighted. But if it gives you an uptick, if it makes you feel better about yourself to be that much of a purist and that super, super liberal, then great. Um, if that's what you're going for to make yourself feel great, then God bless you. I hope, I hope it works out. I hope the dopamine is worth it. Um, how how would we finish this podcast without mentioning Nadine Doris? Uh, fuck me gently. What a state! I think I saw I saw a James O'Brien tweet yesterday, 
<laughs> where he said like because he's got such a sort of uh, you know well documented uh, history um, I would say holding her to account putting her to task but occasionally I'm sure he steps into the realm of outright mockery of her um, and then she sort of misinterprets this willfully I would say um, as some some sort of shade of misogyny I don't believe that for a second though uh, I think it's a, a convenient thing for her to uh, uh, to start uh, to start suggesting that it's misogyny rather than having to take a, a hard look at herself and consider some of the points that he makes about her and her the government that she serves um, but I saw one of his tweets yesterday James O'Brien's uh, where he said he said he couldn't imagine many situations when the Dean Dorries would want to step in to defend him <laughs> but that he couldn't think of one occasion where he would want her to <laughs> after after seeing her performance yesterday so like if you didn't catch it she was i mean i don't know if she was definitely pissed but she was either drunk or she had a fucking stroke i don't know like you could take your pick out of those two because she was like rocking back and forth and just like it was i think pissed the word pissed was trending on twitter this morning and nadine dorries was trending on twitter this morning and you know the memes were just endless uh it's just fucking hilarious like i saw one quote tweet uh of a journalist saying like this person is a cabinet minister <laughs> it's like a link to her just like swaying around doing it like i i imagined her waking up this morning and um uh you know checking her checking her phone like you and me would if we woke up with a thick head we're just like oh fuck oh i had to oh that was just too much that was that oh i'm so stupid i'm never drinking again let me look at my phone did i text any of my exes did, you know like just flicking through them and, oh, oh i texted him oh fuck oh he's never gonna stop calling now i just got rid of him oh and he's married why am i texting him are you still up love nadine oh why do i send these fucking things like you know and then going on the tory whatsapps like shit i was really pissed guys i didn't do anything stupid did i and then like i don't know like rob or dowden or so you know somebody replies and they're like listen how many times how many fucking times nadine do we have to tell you you can either beer bong two bottles of gordon's or you can talk to the press but you can't do both how many times it's uh i mean i dread to think what how thick her head was this morning we've all been there i'm not judging her for drinking because i fucking love a beer but i just don't know if it really lends much to the cause of like trying to convince <laughs> trying to convince the country that westminster and whitehall and your government specifically uh aren't some fucking Caligulan conga line of partying assholes. If you then go on TV to go like, yeah, I think it's all a load of nonsense, personally. <coughs> you know, like fucking glass of wine still swilling around in your mouth. You're like, oh, I don't think Westminster has a drinking problem at all. <laughs> Amazing. The balls of it. It's, um, I don't know. I mean, the people, the people who defend him, it's quite telling, is it? Like, the people who defend him are so low rent that, like, they're only there because they were either cynical enough that they would support Brexit out of careerism and self-interest. Like, I'll make you Home Secretary if you go on record and say Brexit's amazing. 
uh, or they're stupid enough to support it like honestly they were they were dumb enough to buy into the unicornism it's those those two types of people so self-serving enough that they just don't give a fuck about anything and they'll just say anything that protects them and their job or stupid enough that they signed up to Johnsonism and, and Brexit. And that's why they're there. It's a cabinet full of those types of people. And now they have to cling on to the carcass of Johnson's number 10 because the second he's finished, so are they. People like Nadine Dorries are toast once he's gone if the next administration is, is it, has any credibility whatsoever. And you have to assume that if things have got this bad for Team Johnson, that the next people who come in, the next leader, will want to uh, uh, paint themselves as a sort of breath of fresh air. Like, yes, we know that Johnsonism was a spectacular failure, but we're not liars and we will do what we say and we won't dodge questions, and, you know. So I have to assume that whoever comes in next, it's going to be a complete uprooting of, of the current cabinet especially for embarrassing figures like Nadine Dorries. But I don't know if she's like, is she clever enough to have calculated that? And so then she supports Boris Johnson out of self-preservation or do they just love Boris Johnson? Like, because he's the best boss I've ever had. Cause he gave me a promotion. He gave me a chance. He did. You know, it's like, it's like if Kevin the moron from the supermarket who we just about entrust to collect trolleys and even that's a fucking stretch you know everyone knows a kevin the moron like sometimes he falls in the trolleys he's that much of a fucking idiot sometimes he crashes them into some old bastard's mobility scooter and now tesco have to run a health and safety like health and safety course fucking three times a year at huge cost for every member of staff <laughs> just in case they go out and collect trolleys and then sometimes all the trolleys need collecting but some of the staff haven't been trained on health and safety in the car park so it fucking it's all Kevin the moron's fault. But Dory's is like Kevin. If Kevin got promoted to the cash office and now Kevin's in charge of cashing up and filling the tills and holiday rotors. And of course, Kevin wants whoever like whatever the witness sack of shit that promoted him. He wants him to stay on. Of course he does. Because the second the area manager steps in to check that shit's running smoothly and identify problem areas and optimise and all that shit, the second that person steps in to take control of it, he knows he's back to the fucking trolleys. You know? So then, then you get Kevin the moron going like, oh, I think he's a great manager, personally. I think he's great. And everyone's like, even though he hit three of the checkout girls, well, yeah, no, I... I think what he meant by that was like, he, he, well, it was motivational. You know, he was trying to get them to work harder and, and, you know, it's like that sort of vibe. So you want him to stay on then? Yeah, yeah, I think he, well, he's, he's doing his best. He was doing it for the supermarket, wasn't he? He was doing, his heart's in the right place when he's hitting checkout girls. It's like that sort of vibe. So I'm, I'm not massively surprised when people like Reese Mogg or Nadine Dorries or fabricant come out in support of boris johnson because it's like yeah you kind of have to you know because you know once he's out you're out it's um i don't know as i say like the only reason that he's still there in number 10 right now is because there's no challenger no one wants his poison chalice of brexit and covid deaths and his shit polling <laughs> and like Johnson's Johnson's seat in number 10 is safe in the same way that your brokest mate's car is safe. 
You know, everyone's got that one mate who's just never got their shit together. Like they got a Y Reg Punto, and one of the doors is painted a different colour <laughs> for some reason, and there's no car stereo in it. There's there's unclarified stains in the boot, and there's still a bit of police cordon tape stuck to the side mirror. And then they're like, "See, like no one's trying to steal my car." Ah! You're like, "Great, yeah, dude, no." Nobody wants your fucking death trap car. That's that is Boris Johnson's seat in number ten right now. Nobody wants that shit. Um. Anyway, listen, guys, this has been fun. You've you've allowed me to uh, to have a bit of a lol at this, and uh, and thank you so much for listening or watching if you're on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to pop this up onto uh, the pod- Apple Podcasts and uh, and Spotify very shortly. Um, if you do want to check out early content, early releases, and things, I do have a Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/AidThompson. I am on Twitter also. The podcast is at Old Shut Up Aid, uh, and me personally, me like doing shit jokes and talking about politics is at aid thompson once again um and i will catch up with you with a guest hopefully this coming friday night i'm just trying to firm that up now and uh if i don't speak to you then or see you then i will see you all very soon thank you so much cheers bye (laughs) 